Hey, CA Church, Cam Daly here. I am the campus pastor at Rail City Campus, launching in Port Moody this fall. And so over these last few weeks and months, I've spent some time thinking about this idea. What is the church and what makes it healthy? We spent much time in the last few series speaking to relational and family health, but what about the health of spiritual relationships and God's spiritual family, the church? This pandemic has brought to the forefront relational tension. It's accelerated divorce. It has had a hand in friendships dying. In more ways than we can even know, it's probably caused some dysfunction in the church family as well. In many of my conversations lately, I've just been talking with people, and one of the things I keep hearing people say is, I don't think I'm going to return to church. I like my couch, pajamas, YouTube. Others, uh, you know, even people we consider fully devoted followers are saying things like, you know, I've just kind of gotten used to the idea of not going to church on Sunday. My church is the garden, my coffee table, my immediate family. You know, I, I feel like I'm at church when I'm in nature. And then there's another group, those who are thinking of leaving or have left for good. Recently, this become really real for me as a close friend of mine has decided to walk away from the church and faith during this pandemic. And man, it has shook me. Some of you don't want to associate with the church because of the atrocities of the past. Some of you are considering leaving because of the opinions and politics of some who call it home. And according to a study in the U.S., uh, who's really ahead of us in the reopening stages, 20% of people stopped attending church online altogether by the end of 2020. And as we reopen, supposedly we can expect that 28% will not return to our doors. That is 420 people, if you're thinking about our church. I think at this time, the church is disconnected, it's distrustful, uh, and, uh, and it's kind of gotten used to the way things are. The state of the church is not a picture of health at this time. Don't get me wrong, we as a church feel pretty good about where we're at when it comes to giving and our staff and new endeavors, but I fear that the health and spiritual relationships of our church, uh, maybe, maybe they're struggling. And so the fundamental truth that I want to share with us here today is this, and it's my big idea. It articulates this. We are a spiritual family, so let's be a healthy one. Did you know we're a spiritual family? In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, Paul writes, So now you, are, you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house, built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Jesus Christ himself. We are carefully joined together, becoming a holy temple. Through you, Gentiles have been made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. A few things to highlight. You notice the family language throughout that text? It says, we are Gentiles, we're, we're no longer strangers and foreigners, uh, but rather we belong to someone. We have citizenship. We are members of a family. We are part of his house. We are joined together. We are a spiritual family. And today I want to emphasize this simple truth. You are members of God's family. We are a spiritual family. And this isn't the only place that scripture speaks of this. In Romans 12, it says that we should have sibling-like affection for each other. Matthew 12, Jesus says to his mother and brothers that those who do the will of God are actually his mother and brothers. In 1 John 3, 1, we're reminded we're God's children. Galatians 6, reminded we're the family of faith. 1 Timothy 3, 15, it says we are part of the household of God. We are family. The church is a spiritual family. So therefore, this isn't a club or membership. 
The church isn't a theater where you catch a spiritual show. We are, we're supposed to be a family. Nikki Gumbel puts it this way. The church is not an organization you join. It's a family where you belong, a home where you are loved, a hospital where you find healing. How is this possible? Well, I like how simple Rick Warren makes it. He says, when we place our faith in Christ, God becomes our father, we become his children, and other believers become our brothers and sisters, and the church becomes a spiritual family. The family of God includes all believers in the past, the present, and the future. He says this, because we have faith in Jesus, God is our father, we're his kids, and we've become family. And it's all because of this person, Jesus, and our belief about who he is that makes us family. But I wonder maybe for some of you who have this thought, well, what if I don't feel like I belong? (laughs) In every family, there's a sibling or a cousin who doesn't feel like they belong, and everyone makes jokes that they're adopted or their parents took home the wrong baby. Uh, But in the family of God, you can be certain you belong if you have placed your faith in Jesus. That's what binds us together. Jesus is the cornerstone, as Paul said. For the listener who isn't sure where you stand, it's as simple for you as well. Believe And you instantly are welcomed and included in this spiritual family because it's all about this guy, Jesus Christ. So what do we do? If we're a spiritual family and we want to be a healthy family, what does that mean? How should we actually live that out? And so I could have come up with Cam's top three things or top five things for a healthy church. But what I did instead is I went to look and see if there were some overarching themes in the scriptures of how this family is called to treat one another. And lo and behold, there's over a hundred times in the New Testament that speaks to how we are called to treat one another. And 47 of those times are directed how believers should specifically treat each other. The themes that showed up as you survey and and look at the scriptures are first this, we're, we're called to unity. Secondly, we're called to love. And thirdly, we're called to be humble. Fourth, there was a dozen or so that didn't fit into those categories, including spiritually kissing one another. We're not going to go there. It's complicated. It wasn't as weird to them as it is in our minds. Think like Italians or Spanish greetings, maybe. But I digress. (laughs) I want to dig into these three for us today. And I think if we were to embody these qualities, we would be a healthy church. And frankly, we'd have healthy earthly families as well. I believe these principles can be applied to our families. There's one passage that spoke to all three of these qualities specifically. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 to 4, Paul writes this, the church in Philippi. He says, Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourself. Don't look out for only your own interests, but take an interest in others too. That right there, that's a picture of the church today, isn't it? (laughs) No, I don't think so. (laughs) Wholeheartedly agreeing with each other, one purpose and one mind. Loving each other, not being selfish, not trying to impress, not looking uh, out for others' interests, being humble. I'm not saying we get a F in this regard. <laughs> I, you know, and some are doing better than others, but I don't think we're quite winning at living out this picture of a healthy church. We can see these three qualities uh, of a healthy community. They're listed here in this text. Wholeheartedly agree, be one mind and purpose, unity. Love one another, that's clear, it's speaking to love. Be humble, thinking of others 
as better than yourself, looking out for others' interests. This is humility. So let me talk about the first, being unified with one another. It shows up a lot in the New Testament. And here's a few examples of that. Scriptures say that we must be at peace with one another. We're called to not grumble, to be of the same mind, to accept one another, to not challenge or envy, to not bite and devour each other, to forgive one another, to seek the good of the other instead of repaying him with evil. Unity in any family is so important. And unity in the family of God is commanded in one of Jesus' greatest desires for his church. There's this time in the scriptures we see it in John that Jesus prayed for his disciples and his spiritual family, us, as he looked over the mountainside. You might remember he said, I'm not, praying, uh, I'm not praying only for these disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their message. I pray that they will be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me. Father, I am in you, and may they be in us so the world will believe you sent me. Jesus prayed that we would be one, just as the Trinity is one in mind, essence, and purpose, just as he and the Father are one. And this is a good illustration for our oneness and unity that Paul uses to describe the spiritual family, that we're the body of Christ. He says Christ is the head. And Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, tries to get creative and personifies the body and its parts, envying and arguing and telling other parts they don't belong or they're not needed. He illustrates a, a very real problem then and it still is now. When the body, the church, doesn't recognize the importance of diversity and is fighting against itself, it's a mess. <laughs> Lately, there's been a lot of in-house fighting in the body, mostly online and social media, in the chat, and through email and voicemails, I'm sure. Lately, we've seen foots kicking backsides and hands slapping cheeks and teeth biting off toes, people desiring to remove tonsils, <laughs> and people thinking it would be better to be amputated altogether rather than being part of this body. I don't know if uh, we have any uh, The Office fans watching, uh, but there's an episode where Dwight Schrute, one of the main subjects in this mockumentary, is showing off his karate skills. He's boasting that no one could defeat him. And whilst watching this, uh, Jim, who loves to antagonize Dwight and, and taunt him, suggests to Dwight, I think the only one who could defeat Dwight is Dwight. And Dwight ridiculously starts fighting himself. I don't usually show clips in sermons, but I thought this might be a funny one to show to us here today, and it just demonstrates this picture of, of what it looks like for us to fight ourselves. That is correct, unless there happen to be measles present. So let's just say that Dwight has come at you with the throat punch. Now, how would you, Dwight, defend against it? Easy, allow me to demonstrate. I am attacking myself with a throat punch. Here it comes, block grasp wrist as such. And what if he comes at you with the other hand because he does have two? Good point. Second throat punch. Absorb the blow. Groin punch. Hip block. Elbow to the gut. Uh-oh. Up to the nose. No, you're not. Ah! He's making you look like such a fool. He really is, but not for long. Ow! Instep! Oh, not again! Ha! 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 You let go! You let go! Oh, you're right! Again, hold on! Ha! You two are so evenly matched, I don't know how one of you is going to get the upper hand. The important thing to remember, Jim, we always have what is called the element of surprise. Ah! Ah! I don't know about you, but I think that is hilarious to watch because of how ridiculous it is. 
It's the same with the body of Christ. How absurd it is that we would fight amongst ourselves when we're one body. Now, let's be honest. The body of Christ, the family being unified, is is really the ideal. Uh, We would love for the body to all be working in harmony, not throat punching and fighting ourselves. But families fight. Every family fights. Jessica and I get in the occasional fight. <laughs> Lo and behold. But it, and, and if you don't fight, then write a book about it. Because the rest of us, you know, we, we're figuring this out. But the question is, how do we fight well? One thing I remember when, when we fight is that we actually have more in common than that which separates us. In Ephesians 4, it says, For there is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father who is over all and in all and living through all. We have more in common of the things of first importance than that which separates us. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, faith, baptism, Father. And this goes for any family. We share a last name, blood, a home, finances, values, siblings. Uh, We have the same parents or children. We're in this together. We have more in common than that which separates us. And this is especially important for us who are a community in this time, where we're culturally more divided than ever. When you come to church next, and even for people watching online right now, there's people who are vaccinated and others who believe it's a microchip. Some who think the government has, you know, totally overreacted the pandemic, and some who think they didn't do enough. Some of you have a Bonnie Henry tattoo, and others never want to hear her name again. (laughs) Some of you voted NDP and others conservative. People have different opinions on pretty much any subject you can think of, and they're still part of the body. And it's important this moment to remember and realize that we have more in common than that which separates us. We are a spiritual family, so let's be a healthy one. Let's be united. Secondly, healthy families love one another. I won't spend as much time here as I have in the past. I I did a whole sermon on this in our One Another series a while back. But in the New Testament, the theme of loving one another shows up a third of the time. That's 33%. So it needs to be mentioned, to love one another is probably the marquee quality of believers. Some of Jesus' last words to the church were in John 13, where he says, Love one another as I have loved you. Love one another. It's by your love for one another that the world will know that you are my disciples. As a church, our love for one another both displays that we are his disciples to the world, but it's also a sign that we follow him and that we are family. We're family of Jesus. Love should be like a family trait or trait of the past uh, as it went down generations. It was more more common in the past, but often you take on the trait of your mother or father. Oh, you're a stonemason. You must be such and such as grandson. Oh, you're a gifted seamstress. You must be the daughter of... Jesus' family carries on the family tradition of sacrificial love. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Imitate God, therefore, because you're his dearly beloved children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He offered himself as a sacrifice, a pleasing aroma to God. Because we are his kids, we do and we emulate our father and our older brother, Jesus. We love sacrificially. This is what we're called to do. It brings to mind uh, that old, maybe cheesy, but true song. It says that we, they'll know that we are Christians by our love, by our love. They will know that we are Christians by our love. But it's true that in times like this, that people are actually doubting that we are Christians because of our lack of love, because of our judgmental nature. Uh, nature. Some have described us as hateful. And finally, but sadly, 
People have said, you're no different than those outside the world. They will know that we are Christians by our love. What could love look like in a healthy church? One of the greatest challenges for some of us as we re-engage with church um, will be the loving act of inconveniencing yourself once again. One of those uh, ways might be by bearing one another's burdens. You know, uh, Bonhoeffer, he said it this way in his book, Life Together, and I appreciated it. He says, the Christian, however, must bear the burden of a brother. He must suffer and endure the brother. It is only when he is a burden that another person is really a brother and not merely an object to be manipulated. The burden of men was so heavy for God himself that he had to endure the cross. God verily bore the burden of men in the body of Jesus Christ. This should strike us. It is only when one is a burden that the other person is really a brother or sister and not just an object to be manipulated. That is to say a means to an end, someone to get something out of, not treating people as objects or your next sales pitch or inhuman. Just in this simple act of love, of carrying your brother or sister's burden, we, we can show that we're a spiritual family. When relationship costs you, you know your family because love is long-suffering. Love is humble. Love does not seek its own interests. You will know how healthy our church is by its capacity to give, but also to receive love. Yes, also our ability to receive it. One of the things I tried to do after my daughter, Amy, was born, everyone was offering help. And the tendency in an independent culture like ours is to deny, oh, you don't have to. We're fine. Thanks for offering. Yeah, I'll let you know. That's okay. Uh, People had to push to love us. So I kept saying to Jessica over and over again, let them be a blessing. In essence, let them love us. Someone offered dinner, I'd say, hey, that'd be amazing, any night this week. Someone offered to walk our dog, I asked them what time. (laughs) Someone asked if we needed anything, I told them what we needed. Let them be a blessing, let them love us. But remember, a healthy church families give and receive love. A warning of what happens to a church that only receives love or thinks of itself only. Uh, A.B. Simpson says, it's like the body of water that only receives the inflow of its tributaries and has no outlet from which to discharge its overflow necessarily becomes a stagnant swamp or a dead sea. And so the life that terminates upon itself is an anomaly foreign to the very nature of things. It is contrary to the law of its own existence. The Christian that is bound by his own horizon, the church that lives simply for itself, is bound to die a spiritual death and sink into stagnancy and corruption. We can never thank God enough for giving us not only a whole gospel to believe, but a whole world to give it to. We're called to receive the love of God and love from one another. But we're also called to give it to one another. And and not just the church, but, but once we're so full of the love of God to our neighbor and to the world that so desperately needs it, we're a spiritual family. So let's be a healthy one. Love one another. Lastly, be humble. This theme shows up 15% of the time when when we look at the one another's in the Bible. And healthy families are ones where humility is a family value. Yes, even for dad and mom. Parents, I'll tell you right now. Not as a dad, but as a kid. Humility doesn't make you appear weak, but human. And gives our our children an example of what it looks like to be curious, learn, and willing to serve. Humility is also a quality that needs to be present in Jesus' church. It's no different when it comes to the health of this spiritual family. There's a passage of scripture where this stands out clearly. Paul in Philippians chapter 2, 5 to 8 says this, You must have the same mind that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, 
he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Jesus was humility embodied. And because Jesus is the head of the body, this is one of the vital signs of the health of the family of God. C.S. Lewis described humility this way. He said, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. It's not thinking less of yourself. Like we're, we're not called to the task of self-degrading or negative self-talk or downplaying your strengths or never sharing about your victories. It isn't about being quiet or silent or believing you don't have something to offer uh, a community, your friends, or to the conversation. Rather, it's thinking of yourself less, as Lewis puts it, showing honor to one another rather than being concerned that you receive the accolades. It's serving one another instead of seeking to be served. It's putting oneself second in order to lift up another to first. Thinking of others is better than yourself, not just looking at your own interests. As Paul puts it in 1 Peter uh, chapter 5, verse 5, he reminds us and says, And all of you dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. God opposes the proud, but gives grace the humble. Family members' inability to be humble can cause in-house fighting, division, strife, disunity, like we talked about. When someone is unwilling to carry their weight, when someone is unwilling to hear out another family member's perspective, they can't receive feedback, uh, when, when they don't know how to share the things that they are theirs, they'll find themselves frustrated, self-righteous, often alone. And there's something about the last year, I feel, that has just sucked the humility out of the church and the family of God. People in general, for that matter, putting one's self, ideas, needs, second, has been in short supply. Do you remember at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, people were hoarding pasta and toilet paper? Some of you still have like 30 things of pasta in your pantry and haven't had to buy toilet paper in a year and a half. <laughs> remember how they're putting limits on what people could buy and how much? When people are under stress, they rarely think of others first. They go into a survival mode of sorts. I think the pandemic has created a bit of a survival mentality, even for the church. Me first. I get it. I get the disclaimers. We were told to stay home and keep our distance and do the drive through everything. And fear was really real in those early months. And as, as a result, many of us stopped serving one another. We stopped listening. We isolated ourselves into our homes and social media echo chambers. And we haven't come out since. Some of us are suffering like legitimately from cave syndrome, which is a real thing. Imagine like Gollum in Lord of the Rings. Doctors watching Lord of the Rings actually diagnosed him with this syndrome. It's not a great picture. We join tribes and clans and campaigns of people exclusively like us, those who think like us. We stopped having to see people different than us. We didn't need to drink church coffee and have weird foyer conversations with Bob and Betty. For us to get healthy again, it's going to take a real dose of humility this summer and fall, thinking of yourself less. It will take humility to listen again. There's a lot of people these days saying they're listening and learning on the internet. I hope it's sincere. But for everyone that's listening and learning, there is a keyboard warrior proclaiming and parading how their idea, opinion, and way of doing things is better. Something I've seen on social media specifically countless times is this phrase, if you don't believe X, you can leave. This isn't what we believe. If you don't believe what we believe, you belong. If you hold a different opinion, uh, share it. 
When did our faith become so insecure that we needed to isolate ourselves like the Amish? Sorry if you're Amish. And yet, it's becoming prevalent even in the church. We are self-righteous, believing that we're enlightening God's messengers on any given topic. I don't see people having conversations anymore, only echoing and parroting and arguing. We're called to listen to one another and those who are different than us. But this will require humility instead of just listening half-heartedly. Bonhoeffer puts it this way in his book, Life Together. He says, there's a kind of listening with a, a half ear that presumes we already, already to know what the other person has to say. It's impatient. It's inattentive listening. It despises the brother and is only waiting for a chance to speak and thus get rid of the other person. Christians have forgotten the ministry of listening has been committed to them by him who him is himself the great listener and whose work they should share. We should listen with the ears of God that we may speak the word of God. As we return to the family of God, it's going to be unlike the echo chambers of social media. It'll be diverse. Man, it will take humility to sit in a room together, to not live out the parable of 1 Corinthians 12, self-fighting. It'll require us to listen again, embrace diversity and humility, and be willing to accept you might be wrong. When we listen with the ears of God, then we can speak the words of God into any situation, humbly. Finally, I'll conclude with this. And this last sub-point, it's likely to be unpopular with some of you who have said, you know, I don't think I'll return to church. I like my couch, my bed, you know, my quiet Sunday mornings. I like controlling the volume of the band and fast-forwarding through parts of the message. I'm an introvert. Unity, love, and humility may look like perhaps getting out of bed, brushing your teeth, putting on clothes, coming to church, showing up at community group, serving again, helping with kids' church, having an awkward conversation in the foyer and praying for a stranger in a tough place, listening to an opinion that doesn't fit your own, take out a newcomer to lunch and let them choose the place, re-engaging with community. Uh, it's messy. It's messy. But I want to encourage us that perhaps the greatest act of humility, love, and unity for you this fall might be re-engaging. And frankly, if we want to be healthy, we need you to re-engage with community. We would be incomplete without you. When you are not here, there is something missing. A nose, an ear, a heart, a mind. We need you to be here and be all that Jesus has called you to be. Don't get me wrong. We aren't shutting down the YouTube channel. We want to feed, serve, and love those of you wherever you find yourself. But life together is better with you in it. We've come to find that Zoom and technology, although a gift, is not the same. And looking at family through glass primarily is something we want to leave to prison. <laughs> I'll end with this quote. And I saw it on Pastor John's story today, and it struck me. He said, we're meant not just for thin virtual connections, but visceral, real connections to one another in this fleeting, temporary, infinitely beautiful, and worthwhile life. It's by Andy Crouch. I think it's a good word for us today. So let's pray. Let's ask the Spirit to speak to us now and uh, convict us and lead us and encourage us in the areas we're doing well, but also the areas we need to do better when it comes to the health of our spiritual family. We are a spiritual family, so let's be a healthy one. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today. God, I am personally so thankful for the family of God. I'm grateful for everyone who is watching online. They're loved. Uh, we, we think of them. We pray for them. We are just, we're excited to be with them here today. And for sure, there was aspects of this message that are going to push us outside of our comfort zone a little bit. 
Some of us struggle with the unity thing. God, would you unify your church? Some of us struggle with the loving one another thing. Some of you struggle to love, you know, God, some of us struggle to love our own family at times, never mind the body of Christ. And others, and I think if many of us are honest, humility is a real challenge. Jesus, would you speak to us? Jesus, would you convict us? Holy Spirit, I welcome you into this space right now. Wherever people are listening, I would ask that you would speak to hearts as I've been speaking to minds in this time. If there's anything or any ways in which we are unhealthy or operating in an unhealthy way, would you convict us of those things now? And would you speak to us now, I pray. I want to give some space for maybe the Spirit to speak for a moment here. Lord, thank you that you still speak today. Thank you that you are likely speaking to us now. Continue the conversation throughout the rest of our day and our week. Help us to identify moments where we are not living out the the vital health signs of, of a church. Jesus, you loved your church. You died for her. God, would we love her too? And would we live a life of unity and love and humility for the sake of the church, for the sake of the world? Thank you, Lord, your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening.